Good morning, I'm Paul, founder of the new PL Brand Purpose Institute and host of the new PL Principles and Leadership and Business Podcast. Thank you once again for joining us on our latest episode of the new PL. Before we start the new PL today, just a quick reminder of our two new leadership programs we launched at the end of last year. The first is our eight week transactional to transformational leadership program, which goes live at the end of this month, and also our mindset and momentum micro workshops series of workshops which have focused on helping leaders and employees to build the skill sets needed for the future of business. And you can find the links to both the Transactional to Transformational Leadership Program and the Mindset and Momentum micro-workshops in the notes that accompany this podcast. Or you can go to principlesandleadership.com or get in touch at paul at principlesandleadership.com. This week's guest is the truly inspirational Inner Braverman. Inneco founded Eco Wave Power in 2011 at the age of just 24. And for Inner, clean energy is a very personal journey. She was born just two weeks before the Chernobyl nuclear disaster and suffered respiratory arrest due to the pollution in the region. But luckily, her mother, who was a nurse, came to her crib on time and gave her mouth to mouth resuscitation, which saved her life. So Inner got a second chance at life and she decided to devote it to the development of a clean and safe and highly innovative method of electricity production, harnessing the power of the waves. Amongst a whole host of accolades and awards, Inna has been recognized by Wired magazine as one of the females changing the world, by Fast Company as one of the world's most creative people in business for 2020, and she is also the winner of the United Nations Global Climate Action Award. And in 2021, Inner Braverman led EcoWave Power's IPO on the NASDAQ capital market. So Inner, a very warm welcome to the new PNL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Uh, perhaps we can start the conversation with you giving listeners just a bit of an overview into your business, EcoWave Power, what it does and what its mission is. So EcoWave Power developed an innovative uh, pioneering technology for generation of clean electricity from ocean and sea waves. So basically we attach floaters to existing man-made structures such as piers, breakwaters, jetties and other types of marine structures. The floaters are going up and down with the movement of the waves and producing clean electricity into the grid. So I'm always fascinated with, with entrepreneurs where where the concept, where the idea came from. So I'd love you to talk me through, I guess, the developmental process of EcoWave Power, how the concept was born, how you started to build that company. So actually, EcoWave Power has a very kind of a personal connection to my life and to my personal story. Uh, my passion for like making an impact started at a very, very early age because uh, I live in Israel, but I wasn't born here. I was born in Ukraine in 1986. Yes. And two weeks after I was born, the Chernobyl nuclear reactor exploded, which was the largest in history nuclear disaster. And uh, I was one of the babies that got hurt from the negative effects of the explosion. I actually right. got a respiratory arrest and a clinical death. And luckily, my mother, uh, who's a nurse, she approached the crib on time and she looked down on me and she saw I'm pale and blue and not breathing. And she gave me mouth to mouth resuscitation just on time and actually saved my life until the ambulance came. So I basically got a second chance in life. I don't yes. remember any of this because like I was a baby, of course. But, you know, in all the family meetings and gatherings, like everybody were talking, wow, that's so cool. You got a second chance in life. And, and uh, like I kept growing up with, wow, probably if I got a second chance in life, that's very unique. Probably I have a special mission or, you know, I need to yes. achieve something 
really unique with it. And uh, when I was four years old, my family immigrated to Israel and I chose to study, uh, when I grew up, I chose to study political science in the university, uh, in Haifa University, because I thought that through becoming a politician, maybe I can make this like big change that I dream of. And when I finished my studies, there was no lineup of politicians waiting to hire a young lady with a major in political science. And uh, so I had to start looking for a job. And the first job that I found was as Hebrew English translator for a renewable energy company. Right. And there I kind of discovered the whole, let's call it magical renewable energy world uh, about wind energy and solar energy and wave energy. And whereas wind and solar were already like kind of sectors that were packed with competition. Yes. And like, there was not too much things that you could innovate in terms of technology and so on. Wave energy was something that all the scientists and engineers and the World Energy Council said that it can produce twice the amount of electricity that the world produces today, yet no company, no matter how big it was, how many investments it secured, or like no matter anything, no company was able to make it like a reality or to right. go to commercial scale. So I was 24 years old, you know, I didn't have the money, I didn't have the contacts, and I didn't have the technical expertise, but I said to myself, they cannot do it with everything they have, I can do it. You know, the, the innocence of a 24-year-old. Yes. And I really started researching the fields, like really day and night, databases, books, anything that I could find, like seeing where did all the companies fail, like finding kind of the, you know, the similar failure points for all these companies and how I can fix them. And I found own kind of ideas and concepts on, of how to make it different. But, you know, again, I didn't have the financial ability or other type type of necessary abilities to make it happen. So I kind of put the idea aside as you know, not realistic at the time. And then one day I went to a social event and there was a guy that came and sat next to me. His name was David, he's David. And uh, he asked me just, what's your passion? And I said, wave energy, you know, because that's what, yes. this is what I was researching and working about and so on. And it turned out that he's a serial entrepreneur that made a number of very successful exits and he invested uh, the proceeds of most of his exits in real estate. And one of his real estate investors was a surf hotel in Panama. So when I was sitting there watching the, you know, the renovation and seeing the waves and the surfers, he thought to himself, there must be something much better that you can do with all this power of the waves other than marine sports. So in a completely other side of the world, without even knowing me, he also started thinking and researching wave energy. Wow. So when I said wave energy back in 2011, which wasn't the most popular concept, like not a lot of people knew about it. So it was like kind of a match made in business heaven. And yes. he ended up investing the first $1 million. And that was the beginning of Ecoave Power. Do you think your, your lack of experience in the in the electricity or the clean energy sector, do you, do you think that actually was a, a benefit? We often talk about first principles thinking that the entrenched players, they they only see the evolution based on what they've done before, but other new people come into an industry and they see the gaps that the others can't see that are already in it. Did you apply purposefully or consciously apply first principles thinking, or did you just see an opportunity that the incumbent players didn't see? I think it's kind of both. I did see an opportunity. I don't think other people didn't see it because like, Wave energy is very strongly believed in by the scientific yes. and engineering community. So, but for some reason, really kind of all the attempts that have been made uh, were made like a very complicated, expensive, difficult technology. So that's kind of what was a showstopper for wave energy. Yeah. And regarding the fact that I'm not coming from this uh, background, that I see definitely as a big, big advantage. Because like, you know, when you are an engineer or you are like 
fully kind of immersed in the wave energy field, then you're kind of a bit locked in the boundaries of your box. Yes. You know what you've learned or what you know, what you saw that other people did and you know so well. And when you're coming from kind of outside and you're just looking, you're just like seeing what other companies did and suddenly you're seeing like, oh, all of them, they failed in this point or in that point and so on. Like you're able to maintain uh, a very, very important thinking of outside the box. You know, all the entrepreneurs say, keep thinking outside the box. And it's really true. Like, you know, the farther you are from an industry, you can look at it much more objectively or ask a question that somebody that is immersed in it so much will not even think about asking because you think it's obvious and it's not necessarily obvious. Yes. So you, at that point, you had the idea, you had the investment, you understood at least through your research, the industry, but you're still a long way from creating the company and developing the technology. What was what was the next step and what were the challenges with bringing that idea, even with the funding, bringing that idea to reality? So when you're 24 and you're given like a $1 million and an opportunity <laughs> to kind of develop your dream technology, you're obviously, first of all, scared. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's the first step that you take. You're scared. So... I thought to myself, like, okay, what can I do in order to minimize, like, to, to minimize my fear? Because, like, when you're taking somebody's investment funds or you're taking somebody's money, you feel like even greater responsibility than if you're using your own, right? Yes. You want to prove yourself. You want to make sure that this person doesn't lose his money. So I thought to myself, what's the best way to make sure that my idea and his ideas jointly and both of us, again, are not from a technical background? How do we make sure that it works? With the most like uh, with the most kind of small risk of failure, let's say, yes, or small yeah. risk of losing money. So what I decided to do is basically to um, start the initial development and the initial R and D in Ukraine. And the reason for choosing Ukraine, except the fact that I was born there, was the fact that, and is still the fact that there are great minds there. You know, engineers, mathematicians, yes. scientists. And the salary uh, expenses are much, much lower than there would be in the UK or in Israel and so on. So the first step that I did is actually going back to the Ukraine, to Ukraine, to the same city that I was born. And uh, we made a competition between 300 engineers and chose a team of five that kind of, uh, we believe that they can develop our concept into reality, that they can yes. develop it, that they can make the blueprint, the sketches, the calculation, everything that we need to do. So when we chose the team, we basically uh, started off with registering a patent, our first patent, and then we went uh, to wave pool testing because wave pool testing, of course, is much uh, cheaper, first yeah. of all, in Ukraine than it is in other countries. And second of all, it's much cheaper than doing real conditions like big scale power stations right away. So we went for wave pool testing. We did it in the Hydromechanical Institute in Kiev. And we received approval for the workability of the technology and recommendation to enlarge it to greater sizes. And only then we went to a recondition testing and implementation. So I think kind of this gradual approach and this choice of country where we, where the, we could keep our expenses, you know, at the lower level uh, really enabled us to kind of uh, really enable me to conquer my fear and enable yeah. us to really like be sure of our invention before we actually went ahead and, you know, marketed it, sold it or further developed it. And in terms of the technology itself, I guess there's two way, three ways to approach it. One is you you learn from technology that already exists within an industry. The other is you create a, an entirely new product. Or the third is you look out to other industries and see perhaps technologies that are doing a similar thing in a different sector and employ the best practice in there. 
where did this technology come from? Is it a marriage of the three or is it a completely new technology? So when I'm thinking an example would be the respirators, when they go up and down in a hospital, that's creating a kind of power motion. Where did the, where did the concept for the technology itself come from? So I think it was a marriage of at least two out of the three. It was yes. like one seeing what other companies did wrong. And that's why I'm saying if, even if they did wrong and they didn't succeed in their journey, like there are a lot of lessons that are being learned by other companies. So it still has a lot yeah. of value in the work that has been done. So one, definitely we looked at the approaches of other companies and why Wave Energy wasn't able to commercialize. Like we understood exactly we recognize specifically five problems that kind of made investors or strategic partners not uh, believe or to be afraid of investing in wave energy. And that is what was important for us to solve. And um, except that, we also looked at other industries, like you said, like the respirators in the hospital. So we didn't really look that far, like into such a distant uh, industry, but we looked at the wind industry and we saw that from the moment that the first wind turbine was ever built, uh, it took them 100 years to go from an on-land wind turbine to an offshore wind yes. turbine, which is like in the middle of the ocean. So 100 years, nobody in the wind energy sector, which is a very successful sector nowadays, even dared to think about, maybe think yes, but execute no. Yeah. What about executing like an offshore wind turbine? They waited 100 years to gain technical expertise, to get financial uh, uh, you know, support, to gain everything that they needed. And only then the first offshore power station was built off the coastline of Denmark. Right. And Wave Energy, we saw, for some reason, unclear to me till this day, decided to go kind of the other way around, like go first to the offshore where it's the most expensive, where it's the most dangerous. Plus Wave Energy receives much bigger loads than wind uh, right. receive because the wind turbines, at least they're static in the bottom. Wave energy, you know, it's dynamic loads of the floaters and dynamic loads by the waves of the ocean. Like it hits each other. So it's dynamic on dynamic moving forces. Like it's very difficult to forecast and it's very difficult to overcome. And such a, you know, forceful kind of type of industry and power like wave energy decided to completely overlook what wind did, which yes. is very similar in principle to what wave energy is doing. And not wait 100 years and go right away to <laughs> offshore. So I think that kind of was a good lesson for us to see like how another industry did it that is successful in what it's doing. So I'm, I'm aware from the research I did in preparation for this conversation that, and you've just touched on it there, that this is a near shore or a, an inshore technology. Um, that's when it's, it's most effective because the waves are consistent in, in terms of their direction. Um, they break, you know, the breakwaters against the shore, for example. Could this technology be adapted to be used efficiently out offshore? So one thing I was thinking again when researching, you know, clearly oil rigs or wind turbines themselves as structures that sit offshore, could this technology be utilized on those existing structures? So that's definitely a direction that we're looking at. We were approached by a number of uh, oil rig, gas rigs operators around the world that are very, very interested to produce clean electricity for their platforms. Yes. Uh, because right now, their only way to get electricity there is either by burning gas or diesel on the platform or like yep. uh, laying an underwater connection to the grid that is on the shoreline, which is very expensive. Uh, so basically, we are definitely looking at it. It's It will be a different kind of niche market, Let's let's call it. Because right now we're very much focused on breakwaters, spears, jetties, and other types of uh, marine structure, which is called onshore, nearshore. Yep. And um, the forces that are operating in the offshore on the oil rigs and on the gas rigs and so on 
or the wind platforms are very much different than the forces that we experience onshore or nearshore. So it is a separate R&D and we are in discussions with a number of very large scale companies in order to develop that aspect of our technology as well. So talk talk me through the, because I am fascinated by this, talk me through the, the technical detail of how this works, how the technology actually works. How does it convert the power of the wave or the, the power of uh, the breakwater into electricity and where does it go from there? So basically the waves, uh, it works on a power that's called Archimedes power. So basically the waves are hitting the floater, elevating it. The floater is pushing the hydro cylinder, which transmits biodegradable fluid into land-located accumulators. Right. A pressure is being built in the accumulators. The higher the wave, the higher the pressure. And this pressure is used to turn the hydro motor, turning a generator, and, clean, and sending clean electricity to the, to the grid via an inverter. Now, the whole system is controlled by a smart automation system that enables a smooth supply of the electricity to the grid and also enables uh, the technology to come equipped with a patented storm protection mechanism. So basically, when the waves are too high for the system to handle, the floaters automatically rise above the water level and they stay in the upward position until the storm passes. When right. it passes, they go back into the water and commence operation. And what is the potential for this technology? So the, one of the videos I watched, I think there were six units on a jetty, three on either side. Does that just support the localized, so it could support a, a port or, or a local marine community, or can it feed significant amount of energy into the national grid? Where do you see the scaling over time? So wave energy is a very, very large source of renewable energy, uh, and it's much less intermittent than other sources of energy, yes. like wind and solar. Uh, so it can even be used in order to stabilize other sources or really bring the world into being 100% environmentally friendly world in terms of its energy production. Uh, it depends where you look at, of course, but like, as I said, according to the World Energy Council, wave energy on its own can produce twice the amount of electricity that the world produces now. It's wow. an insane amount, like it's huge. If you look at the United States, according to the United States Energy Information Administration, wave energy can supply 66% of all the United States energy needs. That's a lot. Like right yeah. now, the United States is on about 20% or less, like 20% produced and only, only 12 used from my last uh, examination of the <laughs> subject. So that's not close to the 100% uh, you know, clean energy that was promised or, you know, yes, yeah, yeah. or is being uh, pursued by President Biden. Um, in Europe, for example, according to the forecast by the year 2050, which is not that far away, but uh, wave energy will produce about 188 gigawatts of power for Europe, uh, which is about 10% of all Europe's electricity needs by that point, which is, of course, growing uh, every year. So it's a very, very big source, and it can definitely supply a big amount of the world's electricity and can become like a stable, important renewable energy source for the world. I guess that relies somewhat on the on the ability and the availability of an environment to install the units to to ensure that you can provide that level of electricity. And I know with solar farms and wind farms, there are often tremendous challenges in terms of planning and regulation with installation and and also the kind of the the protest of local communities who don't like the aesthetic nature of a wind farm or a solar farm, for example. Do you have the same challenges with installing units in a in a marine community, in a port, in a jetty? Do you suffer from the same challenges that some of the other renewable 
energy sources do from an aesthetic perspective? Well, I'll answer in a bit of a confusing way. Yes and no. <laughs> uh, no, in, in, in the fact that we really have the least kind of footprint out of all renewable energy sources. Right. Because we do connect our floaters only to existent man-made structures, which is like cement or stone-made structures that are already there. They're already infringed on the environment. Like cement in the water is not environmentally friendly. It changes the ecological balance, but we have to build these breakwaters and these marine structures to protect the coastal populations and the ports and so on. But basically we connect only to this man-made structure, which has no use to it except breaking the waves. And we turn it to a source of clean electricity. Our floaters are just floaters. We, as opposed to our competitors, we don't put any of the expensive equipment, any of the energy generation equipment inside the floater. Everything is on land, just like a regular power station. So in terms of licensing and getting like environmental approvals or visual impact approvals and so on, it's very, very easy because like you really don't create any new products and you are connected to something that's you know not used for anything and already kind of infringed on the environment. Why I said yes is because even given that kind of advantages and very, very easy licensing process when it exists, because wave energy is such a new type of renewable energy for the world, like no, almost no other companies came, came to governments and said, listen, can you make policies for us? Can you make uh, legal frameworks? Can you make uh, regulations for us and so on? So what happened is that like governments regulated and regulated and regulated a lot for solar and wind. So like if you want to build a solar or wind um, power station, which might be even more complicated than uh, wave power in some cases, then you have all the regulations. Maybe you have too much. You have like 100 different <laughs> regulations that is causing a big process, but you have the regulation. You know what you have to do. Yes. And you can forecast how long it will approximately take you. In our case, like when the regulation is set, there's not much regulation that is needed, but to set the regulation takes a lot of time. And kind of being the first in the industry has its advantages, like you're the first to market, you can take a big market share, but has very big also disadvantages. Because imagine that we were free companies knocking on the government's doors and saying, hi, we're ready to build commercial scale. Like, can yeah. you come and make the laws for us? And then like, Another company can use legislation that I achieved in the United States and I can use legislation that was achieved in Europe and so on, but that's not the case. So every time I want to build or every time, like even I speak in a conference and there's like a municipality or a porter and they approach me after and they say, come build for us, please. And then I, we get all excited. Yes, we really want to build for you. What should we do? And then they say, we don't know. Let us think what <laughs> you need to do. And then they come, come up with the approach. So that's kind of a showstopper for wave energy. But on the optimistic side, it was the same thing 20 or 30 years ago for solar and for wind. Like when they just started, there was no regulation. They didn't know which licensing is needed and so on. And it changed. So I believe that as wave energy grows, it will change for the best. So is that actually one of the biggest challenges for your business? Not necessarily the development of the technology and the installation, but navigating the, the nuanced international political environment. You know, how you, how you discuss this, how you speak to governments and communities about it what the benefits are, being honest and transparent about what some of the challenges might be. I mean, has your has your political science degree, ironically, sort of come into play almost here, understanding that there are, it's not just a business challenge, it's a political challenge? In some way it is. It, it's a, not a bad political challenge because, uh, of course, all like 
or legislators or governments represent government representatives or like municipality representatives that I've met are very supportive. Everybody wants to be the first one that implements an innovative yes. type of renewable energy. But yes, still the process itself can be quite long because not that actual person that, that wants to lead the way is the person that actually does, you know, the groundwork yeah, yeah, yeah. dependent on many, many, many bureaucratic procedures. And that really takes time. And yeah, it's I do believe that it's one of the largest problems that the wave problems that wave energy is facing right now. We met last year for the first time at London Tech Week, um, and we were on a panel together discussing the role of purpose in business. Um, you've clearly developed EcoWave Power, as you highlighted earlier, on the back of a, a very, very personal experience. And there's a there's an enormous amount of passion that comes with that desire to make genuine change in the world, and you are. I guess when you develop a business, any business, regardless of the level of passion of a CEO or a founder, day-to-day -day operationally, you still have to find ways to reinstall that sense of urgency and purpose and enthusiasm and motivation and staff. How is that delivered at EcoWave Power? How do you deliver the principles and purpose that you have within you within the business every day? How is it articulated? So, of course, as a company, we have a lot of like, you know, overall companies, meetings and gatherings, and they're like, I, everybody knows my personal story. So that's not something that has to be like repeated, of course, in those yeah. meetings. But like, uh, each one of us like explains different experience that they have. So if it's the engineering team, so they're talking about the success that they had in a recent power plant that they're developing or a recent power plant that was constructed. Uh, how it was accepted by a delegation that came to visit and said like, wow, it's the first time in our life that we visit a wave energy power station. That's so cool. You know, like when you're developing something not only new and exciting, but also that's good, like it's actually making good and meant to make good for the population and for yes. the world. Like, I think the excitement is kind of a built-in factor <laughs> into yes. the yeah. development process. Because anybody that would come, if it's government, if, if it's investors, if it's strategic partners, even if it's schools, sometimes we're hosting like delegations from schools and universities and, and so on, you see the excitement and, and you get like, you know, it's contagious. You really, yeah. they're excited. And although I've been doing it like for 11 and a half, 12 years, I get excited all over again when <laughs> I see a kid that's learning for the first time about wave energy. Yeah. And I'm seeing that, that, you know, uh, many uh, books right now, like uh, school books, uh, actually have explanation about our technology. Like they're actually starting to teach it in school. So it's actually becoming like a reality in the educational sphere, in the energy sphere, in yeah. the business sphere. So I think that's kind of what keeps everybody motivated and excited. You mentioned earlier about many of these being installed on water barriers, those barriers that are stopping the, I guess, coastal erosion. Yeah. I wondered whether the units themselves actually serve an additional valuable purpose in terms of breaking the wave momentum before it gets to the barrier. So is it is that kind of a an additional opportunity in terms of it's not only generating electricity, it's also helping to reduce potentially the erosion by breaking the the power of the wave that breaks on the breakwater? So that's actually a very, very good question and a very correct one because uh, according to recent studies, uh, wave energy devices that are attached to the external side of the barrier or the breakwater yes. or the marine structure uh, can significantly decrease the amount of erosion that is happening to that structure. So um, right now, one of the biggest expenses of the ports 
anywhere is maintaining the breakwaters because the waves are meant to hit them very strong in order to yeah. provide the waves hitting, of course, the inside of the port. And then what happened is that the breakwater gets eroded and every year or every couple of years, the port have to have very large expenditure on, uh, you know, kind of renovating that uh, breakwater or that structure. And when you install uh, the floaters outside of the marine structure, they basically serve as kind of shock absorbers. Exactly. So they take a big part of the energy and prevent it from heating. Like the first line that it hits is our floaters and only then the breakwater. It yes. definitely extends the lifespan of the structure and also produces clean electricity. So it's a win-win situation, both for the port, for us, for the local population. How does this technology evolve? You know, does it do the floaters get bigger? Do the floaters get smaller? What what is the what does the evolution of this technology look like in terms of scale, size, and scope? So in terms of um scale basically like we started uh, building like pilots of 100 kilowatts just as a kind of penetration strategy to the market because you can't come to a completely new market that didn't have policies didn't have regulation didn't have yeah. anything put a commercial scale power station that simply would not work so we basically penetrate market by putting a small scale power station and signing agreements to expanding it to a larger scale power station so in terms of scale, it, it will evolve significantly from 100 kilowatts, it will go to one megawatt and from one megawatt to five megawatts and from five to 20 megawatts and so on, you know, depends on how much space we have in a specific location. Uh, with that said, like, that's not a really big technical evolution because our technology is modular. So it doesn't matter if you're building 100 kilowatts or one megawatt or 20 megawatts, which is very big difference in, difference in scale, but not big difference in the operation methodology of the technology itself. What is evolving a lot, like, is kind of the efficiency of the technology. Same like happened again with wind and solar energy. Yes. Solar energy started with an efficiency of about 3%, which is, in, like, mm -hmm. insanely low. Uh, and right now has a much higher efficiency. So wave energy is going through the same kind of, uh, we're not at 3%, but it's yes. going through the same evolution uh, process. So basically, we're improving a lot on uh, and working a lot uh, on our automation system because, like, the way that we control and change different ingredients inside the energy conversion process really impacts the electricity generation. So without automation, let's say only with hydraulics and mechanics and electrical parts, we can produce X amount of electricity. With the automation, we can produce 5X, five times more electricity. Yeah. That's significant. Uh, we evolve in terms of our storm protection mechanism. So with the time and the test that we did in Gibraltar, we developed a much more robust storm protection mechanism. So not only do the floaters go up now and lock, they lock in such a way that there's zero movement at all. Like, so right. we used to lift it and the wind would still move the floaters. And when it, when a strong wind during the storm moves the floaters, that's not good. They can break their own locks. So we improved that. We worked on the axis of the floater, the connection of the floater to the actual jetty to make sure that we lose less electricity and that the axes are robust against side waves and so on. So basically all the improvements that we do, whether mechanical, hydraulic or automation driven, are uh, really made to enhance the efficiency. When the scales, if you have a big installation, for argument's sake, whether it's larger floaters or, or multiple numbers of floaters, is it possible, and this may seem like a naive question, but it's worth asking, is it possible to integrate solar paneling so you end up with two sources of energy coming off because you have a large flat space on the top of those floaters is it worth the investment is it worth the is it able to be delivered and can those two sources of energy integrate 
Well, definitely. And again, a good question, because one of our recent patents that we registered is actually combining wave energy with solar power. Right. As I said before, like as opposed to our competitors, we don't put any of our conversion mechanism inside the floaters. So the offshore technologies, they don't have a place to put the generators and the hydraulics and so on. So they put it inside the floater, which creates, of course, the need for a very expensive yes. machinery. Uh, but, you know, they're offshore, so that's the only way place they can put it. In our case, um, all the expensive equipment is on land and the floaters are basically kind of empty. So you don't need access to inside the floater. Yeah. So the you know, the top surface of the floater uh, is actually just a dead space, a non-used space for anything. So just like we use breakwater as a space that is not used for anything other than breaking the waves, we're also using the surface of the floaters to put uh, solar panels. And actually can be a very, very good use because when we're in location with higher waves, we can reach a size of floater of, of four meters wide yes. and five meters long. That's quite large already. So in that type of uh, floater or even a smaller one, a smaller one is still quite big. Like the Jaffa port floaters are 2.8 and 3.6 meters. Mm -hmm. So basically put on top of them solar panels. A big advantage that you have water surrounding it, so it has even the cooling effect because one of the things that take, yes. uh, take the efficiency from solar is the heating. Uh, and, and then you can get, like according to our calculation, about 3 to 10% additional power, which is great. Wow, fantastic. You established EcoWave Power in 2011, so 12 years ago. I wondered whether when you look back at yourself establishing that, whether... This is where you thought you would be in terms of your mission, in terms of where the business is, in terms of the values that that the business holds. Are you? Can you trace yourself back in that linear line and say this is exactly where I thought it would be, or has it been a very different journey to the one you expected? So of course I couldn't have expected the journey at all. <laughs> you know, being one of the first or yeah. the first company that's actually like not only R and D in wave energy, but actually like building and going forward with it. Yes was a very long journey and we went through very exciting moments along the journey, like the opening of the Gibraltar power station, which was our first grid connected power station. Uh, the company did an IPO uh, in uh, 2021 in July in NASDAQ. You know, when, when I started the company in 2014, yes. I dream about being listed on NASDAQ in the United States. And um, kind of, we achieved a lot. Like I, we received the, the Global Climate Action Award from the United Nations. Yeah. So like on different levels, both financial, technological, uh, you know, recognition wise, like uh, I think we really, really went far from 2011 and from yeah, the time before. Uh, with that said, like uh, I still have one kind of a, let's call it non-accomplished wish. <laughs> <laughs> and is that I would like to see really wave energy happening on bigger scale and faster because with our technology, we kind of did the impossible. We proved that wave energy can be cost efficient because we built it in a much simpler and easier place. We proved that we don't break down because we have a storm protection mechanism as opposed yeah. to technology that have no way of avoiding the storm. We proved that we can be insurable because of the low cost and the fact that we don't break down, and which was a big problem in the offshore wave energy industry. We proved that we're 100% environmentally friendly and we can safely connect to the electrical grid, which wasn't very clear because not a lot of companies connected to the electrical grid in our field. And now kind of, I still feel like the burden of proof is on us to prove that wave energy can produce large energy amounts and that yes. can be produced only when you build a large power station, of course. 
and that we can become profitable. Then you're kind of in the same level and in the same game as other renewable energy sources. And that's kind of my, let's call it last wish <laughs> from the company, because that's really something that would change the world, you know, yeah. that everybody would know. It's not only cost efficient, it's not only reliable, it's not only insurable, but it's also uh, produces big energy amounts, more than solar, more than wind, especially in suitable locations, and it can uh, create significant revenues. Because nowadays, no matter how impactful your project is, if it doesn't make money, nobody wants. Very true, very true. You talked about the potential for uh, wave electricity in terms of wave energy in terms of the the percentage that it could contribute to, to many countries' national grids or energy needs. You've also talked in, in, on the website, many of your uh, conversations we've had and, and other presentations around the fact that one of the key attributes of this, of the floaters, are that they're only installed on pre-existing industrial or structures, whatever it happens to be, so you're not having to build new things. Does that limit its ability to to provide a majority or, or an overwhelming level of energy for a country if it can only be put on existing structures? Will you at some point have to build new structures in order to provide that level of energy? So first of all, the amount of structures that are available in the world right now are <laughs> unlimited. Yes. And uh, on the bright side for us, maybe not so bright side for the world, uh, every year there's you know, I don't even know what to say the amount uh, of breakwaters that are being built, like yeah, Europe, yeah, which yeah. is a very, very small country. We're building like hundreds of new breakwaters every year. Yes. So you have climate change and you have more storms and more ports and more coastal population need more protection. So the breakwaters keep being built and built and built regardless of our technology. So just to cover the ones that are existent and the ones that are being built, like you have enough work for decades and decades. And um, with that said, like, of course, we're open in the future to also go into the offshore uh, environment. If there's a good opportunity in the offshore environment with wind turbines, with the, as we said, yeah. oil rigs and gas rigs and so on. But right now, really, like just by using the breakwaters, we can really reach significant energy amounts. So I don't think we'll ever have to build a breakwater where it's not necessary, because like, obviously, if it's unnecessary, there's no waves for us to operate. So the breakwaters are exactly where we kind of need them to be. So it makes a lot, a lot of sense. Yeah. And one more thing maybe just to add, like what I would like to see is because every year there is such massive construction of breakwaters, like instead of us waiting for the breakwater to be done and then doing a feasibility study and a civil survey and checking how to connect to this breakwater. And then like, it's like you're trying to glue two pieces of the puzzle that were yes. meant for each other, but you're still gluing them because you want the project to happen. Like, I would like to see some sort of legislation back to the legislation route, that is saying like, okay, you want to build a breakwater? Great. It has a very negative environmental impact. Great. Like it still will be built because it's, you know, it's protecting the safety of the population. But you have to, you have to incorporate wave energy devices into it. If we will be incorporated into the breakwaters already in the design and engineering and planning phase, it will be built 10 times faster, yes. 10 times cheaper, which will make wave energy commercialize even faster. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. What what has surprised you about your entrepreneurial journey so far? What's been the most unexpected challenge or the most surprising reward? Uh, unexpected challenge. Listen, I don't know which challenges were expected because <laughs> I was 24, so I'm it's, not sure. It's very true, very true. <laughs> um, yeah. Listen, I, I did not expect 
it's to take let's as I said so long on the in the regulatory kind of yes. aspect because I really see governments and the uh, mayors and like high-ranked individuals let's call it super super excited like everybody are interviewing everywhere about the importance of adding new renewable energy sources and the United States is making the Inflation Reduction Act which is giving the biggest support in history for renewable energy but when you actually come to build in a place that people actually want you to come and build because they're the ones that are contacting you like the bureaucratic process is still so complicated and so harsh that I don't think like I expected because if you're just sitting home and you're watching TV you're sure that the world is going 100% renewable and then when you're looking at the actual numbers you're seeing that the world is not close yes, anywhere yeah. close to 100% renewable so there's like renewable energy is much higher on the agenda than it was probably before climate change and so on but still renewable energy is not implemented enough and still there are no like easy processes for new technologies to come and join kind of the you know renewable energy sphere and that that is surprising for me after like many years i think yeah but... that's, that's for, the, for the negative side on the positive like again it's nice to see that renewable energy is high on the agenda. It's nice to see that every student at school uh, right now knows what is climate change and kids really have like a appreciation for our nature and they're like, you know, the recycling, they're, the new generation, they're saying that it's much, it's much better than our generation. Yes. Like they're much more aware. They want to buy very little amount of clothes, not to, you know, not to create big production of uh, you know, materials for the environment and so on. So that, that's kind of nice to see. And of course, like, again, the fact that we were able to accomplish the power station in Gibraltar, the fact that we're building a second one here in Israel and the third one in the port of Los Angeles, like all of these for me, like is big accomplishments because like there's not too many, unfortunately, there's not too many wave energy companies that are building right now. Absolutely. And this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very, very much. Um, we always end the conversation with asking our guests to give listeners one final piece of wisdom for them to go away and think about and potentially apply in their business when it comes to your own experience of the entrepreneurial journey itself what would that advice be to our listeners today so i actually have a, a saying that uh, i always say and uh, that i believe that passion is the greatest renewable energy source it's even stronger than the power of the waves and this is kind of what I would like the listeners maybe to take with them is that if you really, really believe in something, if it's really in your heart and in your mind, and you know, then you know the right thing. Then just follow your heart, follow your passion. Don't give up. No matter how many people tell you no, you only need one person to tell you yes for something to be a success. Fabulous advice to end the show on. Thank you so much for your time, Anna. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure. Thank you. If you've enjoyed that fantastic conversation with Anna and would like to learn more about EcoWave Power, just go to ecowavepower.com and you'll also find the links in the notes that accompany this podcast. And don't forget our transactional to transformational leadership program and our mindset and momentum micro workshops. Again, the links are in the notes that accompany the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes of the new PL, please do take a moment to rate us or review us. It all helps with our ratings and our rankings. So finally, I'm Paul. Thank you very much for listening. Pop back next week for our next episode of the new PL to the Point. Have a great day and speak to you again soon.